I had trauma brain. My initial thought is I have just lost everything and now you're asking me for more. Absolutely my initial thought. And they afforded us the opportunity to talk as a family. And it was Savannah and Garrett that just told me over and over, mom, if Lewis could make this choice right now, he would want to become a donor. He would want to save lives. Life is complicated, but getting healthy doesn't need to be. And hello, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Inland Medical Center's Health Matters. This is a monthly podcast that gets real about wellness and we get to check in on ourselves. I'm Susie Lowry Hall and I'll be your host. We're gonna have some candid conversations on health topics that matter most to you and our loved ones and our family. And the goal is to empower, inspire, and make a difference. We're gonna be joined with Inlo experts with real insight and real stories from people just like you and me. And we're gonna learn easy steps that we can take to start down the road to wellness. Organ donation has a big impact. One donor can save up to eight lives and help up to 75. And donation can help grieving families heal. Danielle Coleman, a mother of two donors, knows this firsthand. In 2016, her 21-year-old son, Lewis died unexpectedly in an accident. About a year and a half later, she lost her son, Garrett. She chose to donate both sons' organs, bringing light to very dark moments in her life. Danielle is here today to share her family's powerful story in honor of National Donate Life Month. Our experts in the studio are Cindy Llewellyn. She's the director of Enlo's Critical Care and Emergency Services, and Lori Singh, donation program consultant with Donor Network West. Thank you so much, you guys, for being here. This is a really, I'm a little nervous about this conversation, if I'm being fair. I, I didn't bring any tissues, which also makes me nervous, but here we go. So we'll just start off with, if we can just go around the table and everyone just tell me a little bit about you. My name is Cindy Llewellyn. I'm the Director of Critical Care Services and Emergency Department. I work with closely with the neurotrauma and ICU staff where we do several donations and work with our donor network. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. Great. So Lori, I think we're throwing it to you. Hi there, I'm Lori Singh. I'm a donation program consultant with Donor Network West, and I've worked in the field of donation for the past 21 years, and it's been my pleasure to work with Enlo Medical Center for that long as well. Wow, long time. I'm Danielle, and I am actually a donor mom, so I will be sharing my story of donation from the aspect of being a donor, donor parent and a donor family. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So Danielle, are you ready? I believe so. Okay. So can you just start from the beginning? So tell us about your sons. Lewis was my youngest son. And it's funny because we were just having a conversation about their different personalities. And so Lewis was 21 years old. And I was just telling Lori that he had not stayed the night at anybody else's house since he was probably like 12 years old. He was just very much home every night. So I never really had to worry about him. I always knew where he was and where he was going to be every night. And it was actually October 7th in 2016 when he was on his way home. We lived in Tracy, California at that point, and he was about a mile from the house and he was involved in a hit and run accident. And so Tracy PD had come to my home 
and had told me that my son was in an accident. It was about 11 o'clock at night and that they were transporting him to Modesto Doctors Medical Center, Doctors Medical Center in Modesto. And so I'm asking, was he okay? Is he okay? And they said, well, we're just here to notify you that that's where he's going. You can meet him there. And, but they hadn't said his name. And I vividly remember this. And so they asked me, they said, what's your son's name? And then it dawned on me, both of my boys have motorcycles. They're two different colors. And so I had to ask what color was the bike. And so then I told him it was Lewis, my son, Lewis. And so we went directly to doctor's medical center in Modesto and just the process of being there and waiting just until you can even get into know whether he's there or not. You know, it took a long time even to know whether he had arrived or if he hadn't arrived. But very early on, we were told that his prognosis was not good, that he had blunt force trauma to his head and his brain had shifted and there was significant swelling. So he had explained to me that the swelling has nowhere to go but down and I might be getting some of the medical aspects wrong. No, you're absolutely right. But the swelling basically had nowhere to go but down so it would cut off his blood supply. So they had given him though some medication so they were not able to actually do any testing as far as to see if there was brain activity or if he was brain dead for about two days. And so it was on October 9th, two days later, that they actually had pronounced him brain dead because they couldn't do that testing. And you probably know what I'm talking about as far as how that process works. Right. When when we're treating that swelling and trying to see if we can, if he will survive this injury, we first do everything we can to save the patient and give them medications to keep them sedated, give them medications to help the swelling to see if per, by chance they're, they will recover. Right. So once they realize that that is not the case, then they have to stop sedation in order to be able to pronounce them. Oh, okay. And that's when, so that's when they were able to do the testing. And I remember they tested him twice. So I want to say it was like, 12 or 14 hours apart, you know, that they tested him to see if he was brain dead. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot, I love to share my story of the boys. I love to talk about donation because of the impact that it has made, you know, to the lives that I know that my boys have touched. But I often tell people like, as families that are there with their children, or if you're there with relative or a parent or something of that nature, like we have a very little amount of time to learn this language, you know, to learn that medical language. So even after he was pronounced, he was still hooked up to machines and he was still, I still thought he could get better. But, you know, sometimes we have to hear things multiple times and in multiple different ways. Absolutely. You know, because you still are holding out hope. And I don't think there's a parent out there that wouldn't be right there with you. 
Right. And I know I would be. Yeah. So with Lewis, he was not a registered donor. Mm. So that conversation that I had, it was different than somebody that you would have that is a registered donor, that you already know exactly what their wishes are and mm. things of that nature. So it was a decision that we had to make at that moment as a family. And I do recall it was Donor Network West um, that we worked with and we were told kind of in one simultaneous conversation that he was gone, that he was declared brain dead, but that he could potentially become a, a donor and a hero and save lives. So, and I'll be honest, it sounds like, okay now, but at that moment, you know, you're like, whoa, like, wait a minute, like I can't absorb all this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot to absorb, so. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to donate his organs? I really attribute that decision to my son, Garrett, and my daughter, Savannah, because I was just, I had trauma brain. I couldn't, you know, my initial thought is I have just lost everything and now you're asking me for more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely my initial thought. And, you know, they afforded us the opportunity to walk away, talk as a family. And it was Savannah and Garrett that just told me over and over, Mom, if Lewis would make, could make this choice right now, he would want to become a donor. He would want to save lives. You know, I think about it, he was young. When he got his driver's license, he probably didn't know what donation means, right? So generally, if you don't know something, you tend to just say no, right? And so, but he, in his personality, he was so giving, he was so kind. Like I said, he was home every single night. And he was also one to leave the party at like 10 o'clock. So all of his friends knew if you, and he was not a drinker. So they all knew if anybody needed a ride home, you catch that ride with Lewis at 10, you know, because when he's done, he's done, he's out of there. But he would be the one that would go back and pick somebody up if they needed a ride. If, you know, his he had a pickup and everybody else had cars. So if somebody needed a bike picked up or tires picked up or he just, he got along with everyone and was just a very giving young man. And so we had to take his, his character and his personality into that thought process of what would Lewis want us to do? Because if it would have literally just been me as a mom that had just been told that I lost my son, the answer probably would have just been honestly a flat no. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful every day for Savannah and Garrett to really ground me in that moment and really remind me of who Lewis was, you know, because I often think, and you might come across this a lot, and I know you do, Lori, you know, if a family, if somebody is not registered, and so the family has to make that decision, and if they decide no, it's not because they're not giving people. It's not because they don't care about 
who would be on that other end. Mm -hmm. It's just because they're grieving. They're traumatized Mm -hmm. at that moment. So the thought process for them isn't normal. You know, you're not thinking logic. You're not thinking straight. You're not thinking. So it's not that they're not giving people. It's just that they're grieving. Well, and I think it's also hard to accept the topic or the idea of donation if you haven't quite come to terms with the loss and the death of this person that was so near and dear to you. I mean, there's nothing, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything worse than a mother could experience than being told they've lost their child. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely you have to have time to process that. And I think, you know, most critical care staff and our staff, we're very aware that there needs to be time for families to work through the information and the difficult things they've been told so that you can have time to process before making those decisions, if, if that decision is on you. And I absolutely was afforded that opportunity. You know, my family and I, we had that time to talk about it. And again, that was where, you know, my other kids just kind of grounded me and told me like that's exactly what Lewis would want you know and you know I talk about Garrett and being a big part of that um, decision and I can recall you know his so Lewis was taken down for the surgery at midnight on the 11th so I was with him for two additional days and I was able to actually lay with a 21 year old (laughs) boy in the the hospital bed you know they just yep they just moved him to the side and again you still have trauma brains so as you see his blood pressure improving and things of this nature like oh maybe we're not going to do donation maybe he's going to be okay like you your brain just still hasn't processed it but but I will never ever forget that moment when we were told that his heart was going to an 11 year old boy out of Stanford. And it was, it didn't make everything okay. It didn't say, okay, then now that's the reason that's my why, right? Cause I'll spend the rest of my life asking why. But I did have that one moment of peace. And I've talked about this before too, you know, with Lewis, Even when he was in the accident, when he was in the ambulance, when he was in the emergency room, he never, and I don't know the right terms, but he never coded. He never flatlined or again, I don't, I don't know the right language, but his heart never stopped. And so like, I still think about that and it, you know, that same heartbeat was my very first time I heard it, you know, when he was inside me till that moment that they took him into the operating room, it just never stopped. And so I was particularly attached to the heart. And so when we got that news that it was going to a young boy, just it gave me a brief sense of peace, you know, because I don't know what it's like to be on the other side. I didn't have sickly children, or I wasn't in and out of the hospital with a child, you know, throughout their, their whole little lives, you know, so I don't know what that side feels like, 
but it, I do know what it felt like to know that my son was making a difference in his life. A true hero for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. So fast forward 19 months and my other son, Garrett, he was in, he was a snowboarder for UCSB out of Santa Barbara. And I got a call from, I'm sorry, just a second. I got a call from the hospital in Mammoth. They were on their final trip of the season and Garrett had had an accident and he had a brain injury. And Mammoth Hospital is very, very small. It's not a trauma hospital at all. So they told me that they were flying him out and they flew him to Renown in Reno. And I actually beat Garrett there. So I drove obviously straight to Reno and I beat Garrett there. And the experience was very similar. In fact, I would accidentally, if I was talking to the doctors or the nurses, would accidentally call Garrett Lewis, you know, because it just took me right back there. But it was different in the sense that I already knew all of Garrett's wishes, right? We as a family now have had full conversations that when my boys were younger, we hadn't had. And Which I think is really important to to do with your families yeah. and with your loved ones is to make sure that they know what, not just with your decision about donation, but with just healthcare and what you want, you know, end of life decisions that you want anyways. It's so important to have those tough conversations. Nobody wants to think about losing their loved one, but mm -hmm. to have those conversations ahead of time will take such a burden off the family when the time comes. Yeah, because I think even with Lewis, you know, had I just known, like, had we had that conversation and I would have just known what he would have wanted, then maybe I would have been able to even on my own just make that decision or he would have been registered and we could have had that conversation and made that decision. So when I talk about donation with people, that's one of the things that I absolutely like. That's one of my missions is, you know, have those conversations and it's really a one and done conversation. And that's one of the things that I try and share with people is it's not a conversation that you have to talk about every night at the dinner table. You literally just need to talk about it once on what what your wishes are, whether that's from your, you know, healthcare perspective or whether that's where do you stand on organ donation, you know. So I just I strongly encourage people so that families when they are if they are ever faced with that, that they they already have a clear understanding because that one little conversation will come back to you very quickly. Right. And Cindy, I'm sure you see it every day yes. in, in the ICU when families are struggling and right. how heartbreaking right. that can and, be. And when they already know their wishes, how relieved they are yes. to be able to say, well, we've already had this conversation right. and it is a totally different, it's just completely different yeah. experience for yeah. them, you know, because it's they've taken... Their loved one took that off their shoulders. The burden. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Right. And so, and that's where, 
like I said, when I was in the hospital with Garrett, you know, it was different and it, I knew it was different. Now with Garrett, Garrett was able to donate tissue and cornea. He was not able to donate his, his organs. And again, it's because we had that conversation on even just your health care, not just whether you would want to be an organ donor, but about your health care. Because I remember sitting in the hospital in Modesto and pleading and saying, you know, God, if you just let me keep him, you know, and I'm not a big prayer. So that probably scared my kids <laughs> anyways, going, whoa, this is dire, right? But I said, God, if you let me keep him, I promise you, I will take care of him for the rest of my life. I said that out loud. And Garrett said, mom, he, Lewis would not want that. Lewis would not want to live like that. And so when I was faced with that with Garrett, all I could hear is, Mom, you know, this is not what I would want. You know, when they told me that his cognitive abilities, his, well, he never actually woke up from his, from his I guess it was a coma, but he never actually regained consciousness. But you know, we tried for two weeks for like 15 days. He was with us and I had to make the decision that was for Garrett and not for myself. And that was to put him on comfort care because. But you had that, that voice of reason, his exactly. own voice telling you what he and what yeah. he knew his brother would have wanted. Exactly. So that had to have made it a little bit easier, as hard as it was, mm -hmm. a little bit easier for you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, as parents, it's just that final moment of putting him first before my Absolutely. desires mm -hmm. and before, I mean, because even with Garrett, I would have taken care of Garrett for the rest of my life too. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, as parents, we're always putting our children first, right? And so that was just my one yeah. final moment of being able to put Garrett first and what he would want. It doesn't stop when they grow up. No, <laughs> it does not. Sure doesn't. Yeah. And do you you said he was able to donate corneas mm -hmm. and and tissue, skin, yes, yeah, bone. No, he, he did not donate bone, and that was actually through different organization because obviously mm -hmm. we were at renown, and so my experience with them with the organ procurement organization really was all kind of after, right? So just the initial, as far as like the, you know, you still have to give like the authorization and things of that nature, even though they're registered, mm -hmm. like as far as the acknowledgement and answer, like the health questionnaires and things of that nature. But it was a different experience in that, you know, you don't exactly, you can't exactly pinpoint just where it goes. Right. And so you have to just, you have to just let it go and know, you know, the help and the healing that he was able to provide, you know, for up to 75 people is, is really what they say. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's exactly right. So one patient that becomes a tissue donor can save or heal up to 75 recipients through, through their gifts um, whereas on the organ side, because there are a limited number of organs, it's up to eight people's lives that can be saved. But tissue really is equally important in providing quality of life mm -hmm. and healing 
for patients like burn victims, corneal blindness, even things like sports injuries like an ACL tear. A lot of times they will rely on the surgeons will rely on donor tissue to repair those those mm. individuals. So there's oh. many, many uses for tissue. Yeah, I've heard also for breast cancer. And, you know, it was actually, I was speaking with somebody at Donor Network West, and I was sharing my story, and I had talked about Lewis and, you know, how he was very heroic and how he saved four lives. And then... I was talking about Garrett and I said, but he was only able to donate tissue. And I was very quickly corrected, very quickly corrected. You don't ever say he was only able to. They are equally important for different reasons and for different patient needs, Mm -hmm. but equally important and no less. Right. I'll never forget that either. Right. That's another one of those moments. I mean, it, it just, it really made me feel better right because I was like well he wasn't able to well and I (laughs) I didn't have that heart giving moment with him (laughs) yeah you know but I think I think it's true that the general public hears a lot more about organ and organ transplants Mm -hmm. versus tissue and that's something we at Donor Network West try to do is educate the community and do community outreach in our local communities to to make everybody aware and when you do sign up to be a donor we're going to evaluate you for you know, both for organ and tissue and eye donation so that whatever your circumstances are at the time of your death, there's probably an option to help somebody. Mm -hmm. So when, if we, so again, Garrett and Lewis, they are heroes, both of them. Amazing. What happens, how does organ donation happen after a family has decided to donate? Well, the staff, well, at Enloe Medical Center and the donor network, West work closely together. There's a clinical nurse from the donor team that provides oversight in the in the care once the patient has been declared brain dead, and we work very hard to ensure the organs are being perfused and can, you know, are healthy when they are retrieved. So that that takes that can take some time it can take a couple of days working through that process getting the organs placed fine and accepting hospitals and i think it's essential cuz you know we have we have some cuddling to do <laughs> there's definitely time and and we love to have the family there if that's what they wish and we take care of them they our priority is just as much as our our patients so I love that you were able to lay in bed with Lewis. Yeah. That is, that is something Enlo Medical Center would absolutely do. <laughs> um, well, and my experience, what I found is like later coming into contact with Donor Network West, you know, becoming an ambassador and trying to really raise awareness, especially in Northern California, about donation is I found that the care and the how interchangeable it was like I didn't know necessarily the difference between whether it was you know an in-low nurse or donor network west because the care was just so seamless Mm -hmm. now with Garrett's it was I mean with Lewis's it was in Modesto but I have through 
being an ambassador with Donor Network West, I've met other people that their experience was right here locally. Their experience was right here at Inlow and were able to share and talk. And it, it is, it's so seamless the way they work together. And I know for me, in both of my experiences, it really amazes me how present the staff is, even when they they know that Lewis is gone or they know that Garrett is gone. They're still so present. I, th- I think I've shared that with you before, Lori. It just, it blows me away that I can leave the hospital without my child, but still have such reverence for the staff and the team that took care of, again, not just them, but me, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. for families, if you know, are at the decision, Cindy, this is free. So we have families who come in and low is a, you guys can correct me. We're a donor net request affiliate. So we, when a family decides that they are going to donate, then we, as you mentioned, we, we get those, but I feel like, can you share what we do to honor those families? Yes. So a few years back, I'm not, I can't remember the exact date, Enlow Medical Center developed the Honor Walk. And this was designed to symbolize the support and respect that our staff at Enlow feel towards our families and our patients that have chosen to donate life. So once the patient has been declared and all the processes are complete and we're ready to go to the OR, we have a chime that rings throughout the entire hospital. This signifies that the honor walk is about to commence. We give it five minutes, and at the five-minute mark, we take the patient down through the hallway where they are lined with staff. That five minutes allows staff throughout the organization to line the halls from out of the unit down to the surgery area where the patient is then taken to the OR. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's very powerful. Mm. Cindy, I'll never forget the first honor walk you Me guys either. did. <laughs> and the patient, as the patient was wheeled out of the ICU and the patient's father and fiance mm. followed closely yeah. behind as they rounded that corner into that first hallway and they saw this just continuous yeah, so line mm-hmm. of Enlow staff there to honor their loved one and the gift that she was about to give. And her father saying, I mean, he was just overcome with emotion and gratitude for what you guys organized for Mm -hmm. his daughter. It was, it was beautiful. I'll never forget it. Me either. Me either. Mm -hmm. And I, I must say that even through COVID, we didn't let that stop us, despite the fact that we had limited visitors, but our staff were committed to lining up wherever they could line up. maintaining their six feet, but we continued that process. We were not letting anything stop it. And then we also have the flag, which is also, I know I've heard other families say that that means a lot to them too. Yeah. We also prepare a box and a card with a smaller version of that flag and give it to our, our families. That's absolutely beautiful. I know my experience And again, it was with Donor Network West. I was asked to basically write down in my own words, kind of tell the doctors that were about to do the procedure, like who Lewis was. And 
And it was very powerful as well. They also had me, they asked if there was like a favorite song or anything like that. And when my boys were little, I used to sing them every night when they went to bed. I sang Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. And I didn't find out till later that my daughter was quite jealous because she didn't have a song. <laughs> but <laughs> I sang that to them. And I don't know if you guys remember when LimeWire was a thing, when you could download music yeah. on LimeWire. So as soon as Garrett learned LimeWire and crashed many of computers with that program, <laughs> he made me a CD for Mother's Day. Oh. And it was Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. Oh, wow. So my in-laws went to my house. I told them exactly where that CD was. They didn't download music. They didn't do anything. They played the exact CD that Lewis yeah. or that Garrett How had special. made me. Mm -hmm. And then I received it back in the mail from Donor Network West with a beautiful note from Melinda. Yeah. Yeah. About six weeks later. So, I mean, there's so many That's things, yeah. you know, that get done. Mm -hmm. And Lori can tell you probably even better than I can, but I have learned over time when we talk about them becoming heroes and we talk about donors and you know how heroic it is. And that's exactly what they're referred to as heroes. I didn't find out until much later when I got involved with Donor Network West, just how rare of a gift donation is. Mm -hmm. It's such a rare gift. And sometimes when I'm in a room with other donor families and I'm thinking, wow, you know, between us four families, like there's 12 people out there that are living mm -hmm. because of these four families, because, you know, less than 1% of all deaths can even become a donor. It's so rare, mm -hmm. but it's so important. Absolutely. And when you're referring to 1%, it's, it's, yeah, it's about 1% um, that, that are eligible to be organ donors. Almost anybody can be a tissue donor, though. That's why it's, yeah. it's of equal importance to consider and to explore that as an option because so many more people can be healed and saved. Right. My sister-in-law's grandfather just renewed his license in Reno, and he's 92 and he just became a donor for oh, the first wow. time in his entire life. <laughs> Good for him. And so, you know, a lot of, because I share my story anywhere I, anywhere I can, I share my story. And so, yeah, he's holding up his license oh, and they sent me so a cool. picture. That's yeah, cute. 92 years old. And because they, I have heard, you know, for older people, the tissue donation and skin donation is really important. It sounds strange, but it's more playable. And yeah, yes, for, for older donor patients, skin donation is an option. There's two types of skin grafts that are used, one for burn victims. And then there's another type of graft that older patients would be eligible for. And that is for reconstructive purposes, like you mentioned, breast cancer survivors. Oh, okay. So a breast cancer survivor that's looking at reconstructive surgery, oftentimes they don't have enough of their own tissue to, to perform that procedure. And they're going to rely on donor skin to be able to successfully have that procedure done. So is it what, who else can be an organ donor? So it sounds like you're never too old. Right. Organ donation does have, I mean, I, I've seen the upper age limit 
continue to go up. We're, we evaluate up to age 80 for organ donation. But again, a 92-year-old or 94-year-old could possibly be a skin donor. Mm-hmm. What's the youngest, 18 presumably? No, there there is no lower age limit oh. for either. But of course, if you're under the age of 18, it's going to be parental authorization mm-hmm. in those situations. One of the misunderstandings is about when you become an organ donor, that some families feel like if they donate their organs or some of their, their tissue, that they then can't have a open casket funeral. Um, do you, can you sh- share on that? Sure. That is a common myth or misconception that people have. But the answer is no, you still can have a viewing or an open casket funeral. That is something that after the, the recovery of either organs or tissues has, hap- has occurred, then the body obviously would go to the funeral home. And once the funeral director does the embalming and the preparation of the body for the viewing or the open casket service, it, it's like any other surgical procedure, right, Cindy? Mm-hmm. It's, it, they're surgical incisions, but once the body has been prepped and clothed, you would not see those incisions. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible to be a donor and still have a viewing of of your loved one. Mm. And I know another myth that I actually heard when I got my license was if you put the sticker on, then you know they don't try as hard to save your life. And I I guess that rumor is still true. It's out there. (laughs) But Cindy is absolutely false. Yes, she can attest that that is absolutely false. false. And you know what the... To put people's minds at ease, we don't know that when you're coming through the emergency department. We don't know what your status is. That's not what we look for. The priority is saving saving lives for sure. Yeah. So that's an absolute Right. False. My 16-year-old self, the right, my now 40-year-old self, that makes a lot of sense. Right. But yeah, it, it's interesting that that is still r- like a rumor that's around. Wow. Yeah. You know, one of one of the things that's if anybody has that thought or has that misconception, you know, they can actually still go on and be a registered donor and not have a sticker. Right. You can go on to Donor Network West's website. You can go on to what is the Donate Donate Live California. California. Mm -hmm. So there's other ways that you can actually register to be an organ donor besides just through DMV. DMV does about 95 to 97% of the registrations do come through DMV, but it's not the only way to register to become an organ donor. Mm -hmm. And if you register, you know, again, through donornetworkwest.orgs or donatelifecalifornia.org, then it's, you don't get a new license with a pink dot on it, but you are actually listed in the registry. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, this is irrelevant, but I am a donor. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you too. for that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I feel like, you know, what a gift. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do think your kids are heroes. And I think anyone who's willing to donate is. One, when you said that only a certain percentage of people can donate, why is that? Well, To become an organ donor, I think Cindy mentioned it earlier. So these are patients that end up on a ventilator. You have to be on a ventilator in order to have your organs properly perfused with blood and oxygen to keep them functioning. 
Okay. Not everybody dies on a ventilator. I mean, most people don't. So if you were in a car accident and died on the side of the road, you know, were declared dead at the scene, you're not going to be able to donate your organs. Okay. If you have a heart attack and you're rushed to the emergency room, but they can't restart your heart and your heart's no longer beating, you're not going to be able to be an organ donor, but you can still be a tissue donor. Mm-hmm. In either of those scenarios. Mm-hmm. So organ donors are patients that st- are on a ventilator and still have a heart beating. Tissue donors are what we call asystolic donors. So their heart has already stopped. Therefore, their their whole organs are no longer being perfused with blood and oxygen. I think it's really important to clarify when you say organ and tissue that it's there's not two different things that you can sign up for. You can It's, it's yeah. one to be an organ donor and tissue donor or tissue donor, you sign up to be a registered donor. It's not Yeah, when you're different. signing up to be a donor, you're saying, I want to help people mm-hmm. in need, whatever that need is and whatever I'm eligible to right. provide, whether it's corneas, that, heart valves, whole organs, you know, there's, there's a variety. Time, it will be, it will be evaluated by the medical yeah. professionals as to what you are eligible or, you know, able to donate. Mm-hmm. And in my particular situation with Lewis, because he was not a registered donor, mm-hmm. then when I was actually approached there, then you you can say, okay, yes, I want to donate tissue. Yes, I want to donate all organs, right? So mm-hmm. because he wasn't a registered donor. So once you're a registered donor, you're saying yes mm-hmm. to all. But if the family's approached, and again, another reason why I just feel it's so, so important to register and have that conversation with your family, because it's not just a matter of, okay, my kids really told me what Lewis's personality was, so we're going to say yes. It's then we had to sit down and go over the whole process and okay, are you saying yes to just organs? Are you saying yes to corneas? You know, Mm -hmm. in my particular situation with Lewis's accident, it was also, there was law enforcement involved. And so, you know, there, because it was a crime that had been committed and it was an open crime, then I also had to follow, like for them, Lewis was not able to donate his corneas. He was not, because he, Technically, he passed of having blunt force trauma to his head. So they were not able, I was not able to donate anything from the shoulders above. So that kind of answered it for me. But it is a little bit different if somebody isn't registered because then the family does have to Mm -hmm. say yes to each of those things individually. That's so powerful. It really, it really is. just hearing, I mean having you share the difference between Lewis and Garrett. And like, even like you said, when Garrett was in the same, you heard his voice and you're like, I hear you, honey. I'm going to do what you want. Right. You know, that permission. Mm -hmm. Nice. And just, you know, Cindy, you could probably attest to the language was even different, you know, because with Lewis's, it was just so fast. And with Garrett's, I learned other medical terminology. I became obsessed with his ICP, which... Later, I learned that if you have a headache, your ICPs go up. But at that moment, you know, I became obsessed with what height his bed was at because that would make his ICPs go up. I took all the notes I could possibly take. And so while medically it was different, 
just that constant, you know, hearing him and knowing what his wishes were was very, very real. And so in that moment, I was so thankful that he was pushing that decision Mm -hmm. for me. And I didn't, I felt a lot less like I was blankly making a decision on his behalf. Mm -hmm. You were being a steward for him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a great way to put it. Yeah. What a good brother. And you're a really good mom. Thank you. Can I ask one question? Yeah. I just, were you, have you ever been able to see the the boy, the little boy that got the heart? No. And honestly, that's a question that I get a lot. Or if I, if I go and I, I will sometimes volunteer and speak at high schools, things of that nature. You know, that's one of the first questions that the kids usually ask too, is like, do you always, do you get to meet the recipients? And you know, Lori might be able to speak to this even more than I can, but you know, they're, it, it's so confidential. They do keep you posted for a year. I do have the option that I could write, but it has to go through a whole process, right? You have to send it to Donor Network West. They have to send it to the transplant hospital. The doctor has to approve it. And I honestly have never written. I've never reached out. And there's a couple reasons for me. One, would I be heartbroken if I didn't hear back? Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's just to be super transparent. Would it like break my heart if I didn't hear something back? Mm. And two, the gift was just that. It was a gift. And so I just try to remember that. And I'm very open if I were to receive anything because it could work both ways. Mm. So I'm very open to meeting any of his recipients, you know, he was able to donate his heart, his kidneys, his pancreas and his liver. So any one of the recipients out of the four, I would love to meet someday. Uh, But I have over my time in volunteering met a lot of recipients, even though they're not his recipients. And to see it, it does my heart just as good to see their zest for life and their thankfulness every single day that they wake up to their donor. I've met recipients that have never met their donor, either their donor's family either. And they've reached out several times, but every year, one one in particular I'm thinking of, every year on the day she received her liver, she takes that day and does nothing but be thankful and honor her donor. And she's never met the family, you know? So meeting those recipients has really done me well just to see their thankfulness. Yeah. And so I don't have to hear it. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. just like I said earlier, I didn't have sickly children. I wasn't in and out of a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just have to imagine what it was like for them to get that phone call right. saying we have a heart. And that's, that's enough for me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What a great perspective. Yes. Do you know how many lives we've saved through organ donation at Inlow? I would say on average in a year, Inlow has anywhere from 12 to 14 donors, organ donors, and then upwards of 50 tissue donors. So if you multiply those 50 times 75 and then, you know, one organ donor saving up to eight lives, it's hundreds 
of patients that are healed and saved through mm. the donors here locally at Enlo. Well, thank you again so much for all of you being here. Danielle, thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful. It was thank an absolute you. pleasure and an honor to be able to share your story today. Thank you so much for having me. If you're not already, consider becoming an organ donor. You'll make a big impact. Every 10 minutes, another person is added to the national transplant list, and 20 people die on average because an organ is not available in time. To register, visit www.donornetworkwest.org. If you have questions about organ donation, talk to your provider. We hope you found this episode helpful. Tell us what matters to you. Shoot us an email at health.matters.inlo.org. Let us know your thoughts about our podcast and what you want us to explore. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.